we as a society hate the parts of our society, the parts of our collective self that we fear, that we believe we might become. And the result is a divisiveness that is ripping apart the soul of this nation. And at the risk of sounding overly religious or spiritual, I think that the only way is love. Whether we're talking about building our businesses, building our communities, taking care of each other, taking care of ourselves. And that means a call to love the parts of ourselves that we do not like. So I guess this is a long-winded way of taking you back to the question, which is, when that loss of faith shows up, when the lack of trust in oneself shows up, what if instead of seeing it as something that needs to be changed, we saw it as something that needed to be loved? Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Have you ever been with a three-year-old in the middle of a temper tantrum? It's really something to see. They're full of fury and anger and sadness and tears and screams and flailing arms and legs and energy. So much energy. My three-year-old daughter, Camille, who I love to death, is a strong, independent, and feisty little girl. And with that comes lots of tantrums. A question I often ask myself The question I guess many parents ask themselves is, how do I deal with this? But I've been seeing that there's another child in my life that throws tantrums too. But this is not one of my other two daughters, though they have their share. This is a child within me. This child is constantly tracking the world around him, constantly looking for threats. Whether that be sensing someone sees him as not good enough, or that someone might be upset with him. As soon as he sees the threats, he throws a fit the internal equivalent of screaming and flailing. And he brings energy, lots and lots of energy. When he throws a fit, it usually leads to me frantically reacting to calm him down, to do something. And what that means is this little boy within me is actually the one calling the shots. That's not what I want. So I've been asking myself the same question I've asked of my daughter. How do I deal with this? Now I've tried just about anything you can imagine with my daughter. I've tried reasoning with her. I've tried meeting energy with energy, which explodes spectacularly. I've tried walking away and ignoring her, which is like closing the door to a room on fire. But more recently, I have found a new strategy that seems to be working for her. One that seems counterintuitive and is hard. Just loving her, holding her. It is so hard to do. And it takes a lot to walk into that swirling storm of arms and legs. But when I hold her, when I love her, when I sit with patience, calm, care, she settles. We settle. And we move forward. So I've been wondering, what if the little boy within me just needs to be seen, held, loved? What if instead of pushing him away and ignoring him, trying to reason with him, I just hugged him? We all have our own versions of the inner child who drives us in moments, whether we see them or not. They are powerful forces. They are sources of energy. But often they are driving us with outdated perspectives or views on the world. I see a lot of these children at work in myself and with my clients. I know they're there when I hear people talk about needs. I need to be successful. I need to close the deal. I need to be liked by others. The energy is the inner child's tantrum. But when they come to be with that child, to hug it, to love it, to know them, something amazing happens. They transform the needs to wants. They change the drive from compulsion to choice. And they get to choose how they carry that energy forward into the world. Imagine taking the energy present in a three-year-old's temper tantrum and directing it. Imagine choosing where that energy goes. What could be possible there? Aaron Gray, too, is looking for a shift in his relationship with the little boy within, one who has driven him to do amazing and important things. As the founder and CEO of Aunt Bertha, Public Benefit Corporation, he's been on a path to help the less fortunate in this country 
gain access to food and services they desperately need. But there is a downside to this relationship that has driven him so far, one that is now holding him back from having the impact he really wants to have. In this conversation with Jerry, Aaron explores the inner child, where he came from, how it helped him, how it has hurt him, and how he too might shift his relationship with the voice and direct that energy for greater impact. Enjoy. Ready for a more in-depth journey of radical self-inquiry? We've developed a new free five-day email course designed to explore and work with your shadow. Get started at reboot.io slash shadow. Hey, Aaron. How are you? I'm good, Jerry. How are you? Good, good. Before we get started, why don't you take a minute and just introduce yourself? Uh, So I'm Aaron Gray. I'm the founder of Aunt Bertha, which is a nationwide search and referral platform for connecting people in need with available government and charitable programs. Live in Austin, Texas, and excited to, to be here and talk. Well, that's great. And, you know, we'll note for the record that we've actually met each other uh, once before, um, uh, courtesy of Techstars, and then uh, and that was a couple years ago. And we also have a number of friends in common. Um, so the stars align for us to have this conversation. Um, tell me what would be helpful to have a conversation about today. What would be helpful to you as a, as a CEO and as a founder? You know, when I filled out your survey, I think things have evolved a little bit. And some one of the things that I've been thinking about um, is, you know, they, you hear a lot of platitudes about trusting your gut. And for me, I spent a lot of years resisting my gut because I would place the, I would value the experience of others over my own. I've struggled trusting my gut. And because in some cases, I guess the more responsibilities that I've been having with a larger organization, there's very articulate and well-reasoned people that argue the case for the complete opposite of what my gut is telling me. And I didn't always have the confidence to trust my gut. I don't know that I always do. And I'm tortured by it, actually. And so part of it is what I've been thinking a lot about lately is how much of it is trusting your gut, uh, you know, and you take it even at, (laughs) we're getting deep really quick, but you take it at a very higher level and, and that is, you know, how much of that is faith? Because when you're in a conversation with somebody very experienced, very um, successful, very articulate, you can't, for me, I can't help but question whether or not my gut is right. And I would, I would just almost assume that I must be missing something because they seem to have their lives more together than I do. And it's in that nexus, which I think that I, I struggle with, but I, I'm interested in that, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is that there's this uh, lack of self-confidence. These are my words, not yours. And a lack of confidence in trusting your own self, your inner knowing. And that I note that you said um, you feel tortured by that. And... Um, I imagine that means it shows up for you kind of constantly. Is that fair? Yes, it shows up more often now that there's higher stakes. So we're now a 154-person company. We've established a, a market that didn't exist. We were the first. We essentially created it. And with a lot more attention, a lot more smart people looking at it, I would say the frequency of that conversation only goes up. So it, I think as the organization is growing, the, uh, this conflict presents itself more often, mm-hmm. I would say. So as the stakes get higher, yes, the conflict uh, comes up more frequently. And one of the stakes that are higher is the fact that you have 140 employees right now. Um, let me bring your attention to something you said early on in describing it, Bertha, which is that we help people in need. And, you know, I'll be honest, this is not an open, honest question I'm about to ask because I have a, an opinion about the answer. Um, and that is, what's happening to the people in need right now? 
they're getting, their lives are turned upside down right now. They are, um, I mean, their lives were in a hard position before this, this happened. Uh, in normal circumstances, when life would happen, when someone gets sick, they'd lose a job or something like that, it was already complicated. The cards were stacked against them. And now, for the paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck population, uh, their paychecks are gone. Right. And they're getting obliterated by everything that's happening right now. It's rough out there for people that are struggling. And the population of people that fall into that category is growing. I, I'm not definitely not an economist, but I do have an undergraduate degree in economics. And uh, I'm very interested in macroeconomics. And when you look at those numbers and a lack of savings amongst that population, there is a fundamental shift in the way our, their ways of lives, all of our ways of life right now. They're scared. They're overwhelmed. There's, it's just a, it's earth shattering. So we're going to hang out with that feeling for a minute and we'll circle back. I promise we'll circle back to this question of trusting your gut. Yeah, I'm just watching your face right now. There's some deep feeling going on here. Let's take a note that this is the middle of June, 2020. And we are several months into the pandemic and the economic implications of the pandemic, the lockdown, and um, we're several months into what is arguably the longest and most prolonged period of unemployment um, since the Great Depression. And what I hear is that there is a... So the stakes are higher not only because the company is larger, the stakes are higher because the need is higher. The need is larger. And so we're going to acknowledge the reality of the work that you're doing. And talk about going back and finding that sense of inner knowing. Being able to lead from there. And I want to bring your attention to something else you said. And if I paraphrase this incorrectly, correct me. You were describing the, the situations where it's more difficult for you to say, push back on what somebody is suggesting. It could be a board member, it could be another employee, it could be somebody outside the organization. I'm imagining all this is true. And you used the phrase, you said, when others have it, seem to have it together. Did that, do you remember that? Is that, did I remember that correctly? I think so, yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me about that moment when someone that seems to have it together starts to assert something. What happens to Aaron? With people I don't know, there is a, an assumption that they know more about the world or they, they understand at a higher level uh, on the subject matter. And I, I almost bring to the conversation that you know, I know less. And when I say seem to have it together, <laughs> I feel like the poor kid that grew up in a poor small town again. And I think that, that feeling is, is there. And I, I get the benefits of that, and I love that kid. But there's still a little bit of a thinking that you know, maybe I'm an outsider in this world of business or whatever the case may be. Uh, that's, that, that it's still with me and probably will always be with me. And then when I say seem to have it together, maybe they're <laughs> get the haircut more consistently, which is mm. another story. Um, mm. But um, maybe can find, maybe they can find the right words for me that I struggle, struggle with and you know, sort of maybe I'm a little bit more emotional about something and you know they just can battle their emotions with a little bit more rigor. Um, 
And, and I think there's just a, a feeling of being on two different levels that happens um, as a, you know, as, as somebody with my background that um, is, is in, in this world of, of people that are, seem to be a little bit more at home <laughs> in this world mm-hmm. of, of business than I do. So you just share a lot. Let me reflect back when I'm hearing. But first, I'll just note that every time you talked about those other people, you, you, you raised your left hand to a certain level, or your right hand. And then you, when you talked about yourself, you put your left hand below to talk about yourself. So give me a visual representation of you always being below. And then as you were sort of ending some of that, you looked across the screen, you looked at me, and with that same uh, right hand, you pointed at me as if, as if I'm one of those people who has it together and maybe even above you. Does that feel familiar? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think I'm, I can talk about it openly, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a published author, successful coach. Um, mm-hmm. the, these are the things that, that, that go through my head, you know, maybe a little a mess, a guy who's <laughs> kind of just making shit up as he goes along, a guy who's got a crow on his shoulder telling him what a terrible job he's doing in this conversation. That's all. <laughs> and that's why what I love, though, is when I get to know people better, that thing goes away. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But your first impulse is to actually put yourself lower then. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, um, and I heard you recognize that child inside of you. And I heard you also give some love and shout out to that child. Um, and um, without really knowing your story, you carry forth the the experience that you had growing up poor. And uh, and that experience, I'm imagining, still lives with inside of you. It's never really far from you. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, it, it's, it defines me in a lot of ways and it's motivated me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've uh, I've got a big underdog sort of mentality that I latch onto quite a bit. It there's there's days when I love that kid when mm. like <laughs> street smart, no bullshit, just you know just get just tell me what's going on really like you know. And there's other days where it doesn't serve me, mm-hmm. where. Uh, I'm not in an underdog situation anymore. You know, mm-hmm. We're the market leader in our space, and in those cases, you know that that doesn't serve me as well. And, and I'm I'm thinking about this more and more lately. I mean, I can share how that kid it defined the work. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing uh, had it not been growing up and seeing, you know, disparities and and, and feeling. The lack of dignity in the in the United States social safety net. Um, seeing what my mom went through, seeing what just what happens, you know, the judgment and experiencing that. And so I'm, I think I'm motivated to fix that part of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I have a pretty darn good understanding of why it's broken. And I think I'm a good voice for. For, for those kids that are out there, and that comes through, I, I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but boy, like anything, there's still that, like you said, that bird on your shoulder that mm-hmm. is saying, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, uh, you're making things up, you know, what do you know, all that stuff still happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that in... Uh... You know, I'll just reflect back that, you know, I, I really appreciate the way you're, you're wise enough and self-aware enough to see 
the somewhat perhaps obvious, but important connection between your experiences as a kid and the choices that you've made now as an adult, as an entrepreneur, right? You've dedicated yourself to those people in need. And, and what I'm hearing is that, it's funny you use the word underdog, and when I was a kid there was that cartoon called Underdog. Um, um, if you remember it, it was hysterical, and uh, um, he was a superhero. And so your superhero is Underdog, right? And Underdog flies to the rescue of those people. And I, and I hear that, and, and you know what it's like to be poor. You know what it's like to be food insecure, right? And we'll acknowledge that in this moment in time, and I don't have the statistics handy, but food insecurity for a vast majority of Americans right now is increasing. Again, in 2020. After two decades of global poverty declining, malnourishment declining, in the United States with some of the most advanced systems and the most advanced economy ever created, the gap is widening. But I'll bring your attention to a phrase you used. You said, I know the judgment that folks in need feel. Name that for me. What a, what is the judgment? What, what do we, you, they experience? I'll share a story. Um, my mom, she, she uh, probably had uh, some undiagnosed uh, mental illness and uh, she had trouble controlling her emotions. And uh, during those periods, she would get mad at my dad and they'd split up and during those, times we were on food stamps uh, for a period of time and I remember going to Topps Friendly Markets which was a grocery store near our house and I don't remember when it was but it was sometime in elementary school and I noticed that judgment while she pulled out the food stamps uh, and was paying in the line and I remember maybe it was Maybe it was elementary school, and maybe I was worried about you know, other students seeing that or maybe feeling the judgment. Um, and then I remember not wanting to go to the grocery store with her anymore. And, um, and that was a divide, I guess, that I just remember that how that made me feel and the fact that that happened uh, at a young age. And, and in a small town, Everybody knows everybody's business. That's just the way life works. And there's, it just, I don't know what to say. It's, it's just accepted. And so. What's accepted? Judging people that can't afford stuff. Um, mm. It is ubiquitous mm. um, in our culture. And. It's not something that a kid can control, and I, and I think it beats you down after a while. And I'll share one other story. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and again, I say this with, I, I'm fortunate. I was no doubt loved by, by my parents, and um, my dad was a saint in, in mm -hmm. many ways. Um, but uh, when my mom got sick, um, she, uh, she had her best job. She was a janitor um, at Jamestown Community College, and she had full benefits. She worked nights, and she would um, take a couple of classes each semester at the community college. But then she got sick, and um, her brain disease uh, ate up at her memory, and she was disabled afterwards. And she's permanently disabled because of this disease. But I was a senior in high school, and I had uh, crooked teeth. I had these mm -hmm. two teeth here kind of looked like fangs. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember hearing somebody call me fangs, um, group of friends, and you know, and I got very self-conscious about my teeth. And um, 
after she got back from the hospital, my dad, they were back together, and my dad took care of her. And, uh, and then I realized by looking at her book, her, her insurance company's book, that it covered braces. Mm. Um, but, it, <laughs> you know, as a high school senior, I, I didn't ask my parents to, to help because they wouldn't know how to navigate. And, and so I literally went to the community college, talked to one of the HR people, <laughs> And realized, and I had a job at Wendy's. I was flipping burgers at Wendy's, uh, literally. That was my job uh, for two years. Hmm. And then I found an orthodontist, and I explained the situation, and I brought in an insurance form every month. Um, hmm. And he didn't charge me an upfront cost, and I gave him $70 in the insurance form every month, and I, and I got braces. Um, hmm. and, um, and, you know, I, I guess I learned that people make judgments. And I think I also learned that there's, I guess, people should be able to self-navigate. And I know it's easy to paint the picture now, 25 years, 30 years later, whatever it is. But these two stories, I think, remind me of, of the things that happen. And, and I, it, it, it's unfair. I mean why I'm different, you know, why I figured out how to navigate had a lot to do with my older sister going to college and proving that you can pay your way through college. Um, mom and dad who were, who were, you know, just emotionally supportive through mm. that. Um, but those feelings of judgment and, you know, and, and how unfair that is, uh, is crystal clear to this day. Mm. We can hate the poor, can't we? As a society. You know, I've been thinking a lot about why yeah. people do, and especially now, you know, given everything that's happening. And it's easy to talk about a whole population or a whole section of the economy. Um, but again, like anything, you talk to an individual person and you learn their story. Why, why, why is somebody poor? Everybody has a story. Or they you know, spent 400 years, their ancestors spent 400 years in slavery. Exactly. And... Uh, there, man, there's something really, 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 really screwed up happening. And I, uh, um, on those attitudes towards the poor, um, uh, I hope there's a major reckoning happening right now of, of what we all value uh, as a society. COVID, you know, the um, protests, uh, um, <laughs> I want to do my part. On that it feels like the facade is cracking to me at least and it feels like um, the darker underbelly of our nature is being revealed and um, uh, let me be clear being revealed in inescapable ways because the truth is the darker nature uh, has always been there and folks have always experienced it it's just not actually been so present in, in the faces of the collective and, and on camera and on camera yeah I mean the truth is um, uh I know food insecurity. I know that shame. I, I know, and it was confusing for me because I would conflate the shame of our financial situation with the shame of my mother's mental illness. Because all I knew in those moments was uh, I wanted to just disappear 
and hide and not be seen. Um, and I want to steer clear of broad-based generalizations that could lead to false equivalencies. Each of us experiences um, injustice differently. And those of us um, I identify as white, um, as difficult as it may have been, I am cognizant of the advantages that that gave me. Um, and what I see before me is a man who um, stays connected to his most painful experiences so that he may be of service to others. Which, um, in my book, is the basis of compassion. You know, in your notes to me, you reference faith. And even in our conversation here, you reference faith. And then at one point, you reference God. Um, do you identify with religious tradition? I grew up a uh, Baptist, going to a, a Baptist church up north, and which was more, not as conservative as Southern Baptist. Um, it was a big part of our life growing up. We, we would always go to church, um, even in the parts where my parents were split up. It was something to do uh, from a big family. There's, um, there, mine, his, and ours, there were seven kids total. Mm. But I, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> You know? mm. um, uh, I, again, I, I did feel some of the judgment. Um, in the church itself? In the church itself, yeah. Well, let me just take a step back. I started um, journaling in college, um, mm. uh, inconsistently at first. Um, mm -hmm. And usually it ended up journaling just when everything hit the fan, you know, <laughs> breakups, you know, right. whatever the case may be. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then probably uh, eight, nine years ago, I started doing it more consistently. So about four years ago, I, I decided, uh, my mom got me a Bible uh, when, I, when I went off to college and uh, she wrote something in there and ha yeah, uh, happy, my birthday was in August and I went off to college a couple days later. Um, you know, uh, she said, stay close to Jesus and you'll always be happy. And mm. I, at the time, I, you know, I, I just was, I didn't get it. Um, so I found that and um, I opened up, I started reading the New Testament as an adult. Um, and I, you know, I was going to journal and then I was going to read the New Testament. Mm. And it took me a good, I guess, year or so. But I read just one chapter at a time after my journal, journaling mm. session. And the New Testament is a, a wonderful, beautiful thing. And uh, I've been thinking about that more, is that what is faith? Faith is taking that step when all you have is that gut feeling which had to come from something beyond you. Mm -hmm. um, and it, 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 and faith is not explaining. It, 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 that's why it is what it is. There's no logical explanation for it. Mm. That doesn't mean do stupid things, but that means understanding that there's certain moments that you just have to be willing to take whatever consequences are there. Mm. And I found myself right around the time rereading the New Testament and just cognizant and thinking about that a lot more um, and it's liberating sometimes hmm. so uh, through my questions I'm kind of take, taking you on a little bit of a journey back and, and I'm hearing the role of your faith in your life and um, if we go back to the core question, which is the inability to trust your gut, the inability to stand up to or stand up for people in need and to people who seem to have it together. 
and perhaps from a leadership perspective, the inability to assert what you know, not intellectually, but at the gut level, at the soul level, at the, uh, the seat of your soul, the solar plexus. Here's another phrase that occurs to me. What you're talking about is a loss of faith, moments of a loss of faith. And I'm going to share how I approach those things, not as a prescription, because I think one of the challenges, uh, one of the challenges of this kind of uh, uh, construct in which you were, you were taught at a very, very early age that you were less than, you were lower than. And you're wise enough to know that there's a correlation between that message that you received repeatedly, that message that we continue to receive repeatedly, to know that it, it exacerbates the loss of faith, the inability to trust oneself. And so I offer this because in this moment, there's an opportunity. It, 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 I offer it not as a prescription, because if I were to offer it as a prescription, it might feed that part of you that says, you are less than me. And I want you to understand something. We are equal. No matter what story you tell yourself, no matter what you project onto me, God bless you. I appreciate it. But I am just as broken and I struggle just as much. And if I were to tell you what you should do, it might inadvertently reinforce that position that you were less than me. That's why I'm taking such great pains to say what I'm about to say. So here's how I grapple with that. I listen to that voice. I don't shut it down the voice that tells me I don't know what I'm doing, the voice that wants to internalize all the judgment that I perceived others are having and made it a part and parcel of my being. And I say to that voice, thanks a lot, but I don't actually need you anymore. <laughs> I understand that you're trying to keep me safe from the pain that I felt when I was 10 in the lobby of the Food Stamp Administration building. I understand that you don't want me to hate that person the way I once did. But I'm not 10 anymore. And in my best days, which are not every day, but in my best days, I can remember the greater sense of purpose, the greater sense of what it is I do. This time period has been difficult for all of us. And what I have said to my teammates, what I have said to myself was it's go time. This is what we built this en engine for. And I'm referring to my company. I'm going to suggest, at the risk of projecting onto you, it's go time, dude. This is why you built Aunt Bertha. And you will fail to meet everybody's needs. That's a fact. But failing to meet everyone's needs doesn't mean you stop trying. This is not a one and done battle. This is a lifelong practice. And you are serving people in need, and I like to think that I serve people in need. Differently, but the same. We're in the same fight. Does that help? 
It does. This reminded me of um, the Pixar movie mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Which one? The one about the you know the fears and emotions in your head. Oh I'm yes, the name yes. <laughs> yeah, Inside Out. It is that, and mm -hmm. and to think you know if, if if I just share my journey as the founder of the company, you know I was a, because of my background. I didn't know how to raise money. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I didn't know how to communicate to investors, and yeah. I was afraid of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if somebody invested, <laughs> they invested because they really wanted to. They, mm. <laughs> I didn't sell them. Uh, but that kid, that ten-year-old kid, uh, I've, I love that kid, mm -hmm. and that's who I'm serving. You know. mm. Is, is that kid, and his parents. And letting them know that it's okay, and you'll learn to love that mm -hmm. <laughs> as well. Anyway, I, I try to hire kids like that, mm -hmm. and I, I want to do a better job of grabbing them and promoting them, and um, because I think they're tough. Mm -hmm. um, the the next, I wonder what that next level of being a CEO and what that means. And and it, it's fitting, given what we're going through now, is that how do you learn to love people that don't have your same background? Mm -hmm. I mean, it does come down to love. And when you, you go back to the New Testament, that, those are parts of it that I really struggle with, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it, there's a level of maturity that it takes, you know, to get there. But the the assumption that it's one or the other, but you can love that kid, and you can say, <laughs> "You're still my buddy. Mm -hmm. You're still awesome." But I, I need to listen to, you know, the bird on the other side of my shoulder <laughs> this mm -hmm. time, you know. So let me let me give you some framing on that. This is how I handle it. The kid has the voices inside, just as I do. The kid inside of me has those, those voices. The voice is almost another part of me. And that voice is, in my book, I call it the crow who sits on your shoulder. The, the purpose of the crow is, as we've both been saying, to keep us safe, usually from humiliation and shame. It gets very clever. It says things like, you can't try to do that. You're going to fail. Well, so what? What's the consequence of failure? Well, then everybody will laugh at you. So it's shame. And we associate shame with sort of threats to our worthiness of love. I'm going to say that again. The shame has power because it threatens our worthiness of love. And the core messages of shame is that you do not deserve to be loved. One of the most powerful messages that I have found in all the religions I have encountered, all of the spiritual traditions I have encountered, is the absolute essential nature of loving oneself. Not above all but as a foundational component of that gorgeous move of compassion. Which means, if that crow is on my shoulder, I've got to love that crow. Because to hate the crow is to hate a part of me. And I am not going to feel fully loved and worthy of love if I am cherry-picking just the parts of me that I like. And I can say to that part of me that is so desperate to keep me from feeling the sting of shame, love you, man, stand down. I got this. And then from that place of wholeness, 
I might reach out to others. You know, we, we raised a question and then dropped it. And I said something that kind of took you back in a, a, a few minutes ago. I said, we, we can hate the poor. And it really, it seemed to sort of send you back. And I think what it is, is that we as a society hate the parts of our society, the parts of our collective self that we fear, that we believe we might become. And the result is a divisiveness that is ripping apart the soul of this nation. And at the risk of sounding overly religious or spiritual, I think that the only way is love. Whether we're talking about building our businesses, building our communities, taking care of each other, taking care of ourselves. And that means a call to love the parts of ourselves that we do not like. And it tears me apart that we do not love the poor. I do not consider myself Christian, but I was raised in the Christian tradition. And one of the core messages that I believe from that tradition is the unyielding message from Christ to love the poor. I mean, there was no exceptions here. It wasn't like, except those people over there. It was unyielding. It was fierce. It wasn't, don't love this person because they, they tagged a wall with Black Lives Matter. And it wasn't, don't love this person because somehow they're throwing a fist in the air. Or they're breaking into a store because they're so economically put down that this is the only thing that they see that's in front of them. Where in that, that New Testament you spoke of does it say, except these folks, don't love them? And leave aside religion. I do not want to live in a world that divides people into the loved and the unloved. So I guess this is a long-winded way of taking you back to the question, which is when that loss of faith shows up, when the lack of trust in oneself shows up, what if instead of seeing it as something that needs to be changed, we saw it as something that needed to be loved? And we saw that as something that needs to be welcomed back in. Hello, my old friend. I've known you since I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not about me, you know. Say more. It, 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 the, the mission is to empower the millions of 10-year-old kids facing mm -hmm. the same discrimination facing the same judgment, racism, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And with the amount of wealth in, in the United States, uh, the poor are entitled to that support. And they can deserve to access it with dignity and ease, just like anybody with a wallet can access services mm -hmm. with dignity and ease. We as entrepreneurs, I think sometimes it, we let it become more about ourselves, and I fall into that trap. But if we look at ourselves as the voice of you know, that 10-year-old kid that we're advocating for, it doesn't matter. There is a little bit of anger there um, with that 10-year-old you know, kid of, but the world is unjust. And, and the reality is, 
at least for me personally, I need that anger mm-hmm. to, to keep breaking down the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the, what maybe what the have and have nots are projecting onto the poor, part of it is fear of becoming poor. I think, mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. I guess just being a little bit more secure and knowing that you need that 10-year-old Aaron mm-hmm. to fight with the right persistence against the broken things in society that are there. And I love this moment mm-hmm. that we're in mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I hope I can get my head out of my own insecurities long enough to remember that. Well, let's hope that um, remembering that sense of purpose and remembering that mission and that revolution, that revolutionary spirit, will help quiet some of the insecurities. And when they don't, we blow them a kiss. And we say, (laughs) okay. And, you know, the last thing I would say is from where I sit, I believe that anger in the name of justice is love. The opposite of love is not anger. It's hate. Anger can be in service of love. Thank goodness so many leaders have gotten angry. That's how the world changes. Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your open, what I would call your broken open heart. Um, It's gorgeous. I am so deeply admiring and respectful of the work that you do. Um, It's important. And, uh, you know, I have a deep wish for you that, that when when that voice arises, you're just able to blow it a kiss, say thanks, and get back to work. Because the work you do is that important. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening to the Reboot Podcast. Check out my book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I hope it really moves you.